0: You can turn over to Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Matthew chapter 5. We're in the midst of a study through the Beatitudes and we've come to the seventh one today and uh, uh just want to read for us once again, just so it's fresh in our mind. I know I do this every week, but it's good to get the whole context. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, And seeing the multitudes, he went up to the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. and they opened. He, then he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. We looked at that last week. For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are You when they revile and persecute You and say all kinds of evil against You falsely for My name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is Your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before You. Father, we just come before You and we ask that You would open our hearts, our minds to Your Word. And Lord, we look at these words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, over the ages, they've been treasured in the hearts of many uh, believers. And yet, Father, we're so dependent on You this morning. Lord, we expect Your Holy Spirit to equip us to help us to understand what's before us, at least what the Lord meant and as He called for us to be peacemakers. And Lord, I pray that You would uh, uh, just kind of take a road around or bypass our uh, inability, uh, Lord, my inability to communicate this truth and, and also our inability as a group to really understand it. Um, Lord, I pray that we would be able to go beyond ourselves through the power of Your Spirit and and just uh, teach us as our teacher this morning. Lord, that we would have a proper understanding, a biblical understanding of what it means to be a peacemaker in the world today. Because we look around us and we know that this world is desperate for peace. And we trust that You will do that, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This morning as we come to this aspect of uh, this beatitude, um, you know the the idea of peace really flows through the whole Bible, if you stop and you think about it. Um, The Bible opens when there's peace in the garden, right? After God created man, there was peace. They had communion with God on a daily basis. And the Bible closes in the end, if you read all the way to the end of Revelation, it closes with uh, peace in eternity. And so from cover to cover the Bible is just kind of uh, inundated with peace with the aspect of peace with the idea of peace and you could really chart history with the theme of peace throughout the world there was there was peace on the earth in the garden and man sinned and and therefore peace was interrupted you might say and yet at the cross when Christ died on the cross uh, peace once again it became a reality and uh, because of his sacrifice for us and since the Lord Jesus Christ has provided that peace there can be once again peace in our hearts Um, for any man or woman or child who comes to know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior um, the Bible gives him Jesus Christ the title of what Prince of Peace in other words he's going to come and he's going to establish a kingdom of peace during that millennial time which will finally even go into the eternity Uh, says the lion will lay down with the lamb and And all that and and it's it's a great theme throughout the Bible Um, you know there's over 400 references in the Bible to the idea of peace and so we know that God is concerned with peace it's something that's heavy on his heart and you say well if God's so concerned with peace why isn't there any (laughs) you know you look around and there's just not a lot of peace to be had um, and the reason, basically, is we don't have any. The reason we don't have any peace today is of two things. Basically, the opposition of Satan, the enemy. He doesn't want peace. He's come to destroy, to divide, and also the disobedience of man. Our own hearts are disobedient. The fall of the angels and the fall of man has really caused the world to have no peace whatsoever. And. Uh, It isn't that God doesn't want peace. He provided for us to have peace, but it's man and Satan basically who are at war, the Bible says, with God. And you know what? If you've ever had peace disrupted amongst a relative or something like that, or anybody, a friend or something, uh, you realize that peace is something that you can only have as long as the other person wants it. Right? I mean, peace is something that takes two. It's a two-way street. If somebody's fighting with you and you get together and you say, okay, you know, I forgive you and, and let's just forget about that. And they say, no, <laughs> you know, I'm going to hold a grudge till the day I die. Well, you can't have peace with that person, even though you want to have peace with them. They're holding that back. And so as long as they have those two things, the opposition of Satan and the opposition of man to peace, we're not going to have peace. And so today we kind of are climbing this ladder up until the seventh beatitude, which is blessed are the peacemakers... Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Um, Interesting term, peacemakers. When you stop and you think about that, probably a lot of things flood through your mind. But I want you to understand this morning that God has called Christians to bring back to earth the peace that was forfeited as a result of sin. Now, is that going to happen perfectly in our day and age? No, it's not. But God's peacemakers will achieve a lot more Than any Nobel Peace Prize winner on earth, Um, because we're talking about a peace that's everlasting. We're talking about a peace that's eternal, and so we have this unique group of people called peacemakers. That Jesus says, "Blessed are the peacemakers." Well, who's he referring to? Well, to ease your heart, he's not talking about politicians. (laughs) Okay, he's not even talking about statesmen or diplomats or, or. arbitrators, anything like that, or kings, or even he's not talking about President Bush, or, you know, w- w- will you like him, whatever, it doesn't make any difference. He's not even talking about people who win the Nobel Peace Prize. He's not talking about that. Those people would never measure up to the kind of peacemaker that he's talking about. He's not talking about the League of Nations or the United Nations. Thank God he's not talking about that. Or a council of churches. That has nothing to do with what he's talking about here in this text. Um Because if you stop and you look throughout history, worldly peacemakers, they don't have a very good record (laughs) at making peace, do they? And God's peacemakers, God wants us to understand, Jesus wants us to understand, are different. They're not like the world's. And so we have the nations and political groups and organizations and, and all this stuff. There's no true peace. Even in homes, there's no true peace. There's no real peace anywhere. I mean, you know, you have divorce rate, you have all this stuff uh, going on over and over and over again, and nations fighting against nations. And you look around and you say, well, if Jesus wants peace, there is none. And you're right, because of Satan and because of the rejection of man. It's a war with God. And so there's no peace anywhere in the world. Why? Because there's no peace where? In people's hearts. There's no peace in people's hearts. That's the real answer. Um, I remember when we had the opportunity as a family to go to Washington D.C. We were back in Pennsylvania visiting um, some relatives, and my aunt, who's now passed away, she used to live in Washington D.C. and used to give tours at to the White House. Real, you know. Uh, Vibrant lady and a lot of energy and her son, my cousin, I guess that would be He took us around a a quick tour of Washington, D.C. the day we got there And he just said, look, go here, don't go there, that's a waste You know, and kind of took us on this quick tour And he said, you want to see these monuments and, you know, don't worry about that one, whatever And I remember walking around, there's a lot of monuments there And you know what, there's a lot of peace monuments in Washington, D.C. And somebody said, well, that's because they build one after they have a war (laughs) And so there's all these peace monuments You know, trying to remember that, hey, this is a peace monument, and yet it's a result of war. And that's why we have so many. And so there's not a a peace treaty in history that hasn't been broken somewhere along the line. And so we stop and we we look at what's been called peace by the world. Basically, it's that time around Christmas that maybe they, they, they call a truce or they hold off firing and reload their weapons, and that's what we call peace. Oh, there's peace here, there's peace there. Well, really, there's not. And it's interesting, after World War II, a group came along, the United Nations, and they were brought into existence to promote what? World peace. That's their that's their only purpose, really. That's how they were born. And the world has been continually filled basically with one war after another ever since they came around. Whether you like the United Nations or not, they're basically principle their basic goal their basic vision is to have succeeding generations free from the scourge of war that's what they were created to do and if you stop and think about it they haven't done a very good job (laughs) just haven't. why because that's not the kind of peace we're talking about you know some historians even say if you're into history that in the united states of america we only had two generations of peace one from 1815 to 1846 and the other one from 1865 to 1898 But what they failed to overlook, or what they overlooked, they failed to see, was that during that time was probably the worst period of bloodshed because we were basically slaughtering Indians. And blood ran in the streets or in the mountains as they took these Indians alive. And so really, technically, we haven't known peace as a nation in the history of our nation. There's always something going on somewhere in the world. And if you think it's just a political or a world scene, I read this statistic. I have no way of proving it. But someone said that um, in America, uh, guns, personal guns have, have people who use personal guns. Let me qualify this because I believe in owning guns and I believe that's a good thing and all that. But people who misuse personal weapons have killed more people than all the world's ever combined, all the war's ever combined, in America. I don't know if that's true or not, but if it is, that's a, that's a staggering statistic. And that's not to, you know, say bad things about guns or gun owners. It's the people that use them wrongly, the criminals, obviously. And so there's no peace. No matter where we look, there's no peace. And it's kind of an incapability on our part to create that kind of peace that we're looking for. Even relationships are fragile, aren't they? I mean, you constantly got to be working on your marriage. Why? Because you're two imperfect people, you're put together to to come together in unity and to death do your part. And you know that's just it's hard to do because we're human beings. A lot of times today, even a lot of people have been been identified with mental or emotional illnesses. Um, The families disintegrating. Our education systems basically in the toilet. It's broken down. Um, You have people marching and picketing all over the place. Why? Because man has no peace within himself. That's why. And we've never needed a peacemaker more (laughs) in our society than we do today. Well, Matthew chapter five, verse nine says, basically, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the true peacemakers. Blessed are the people that really bring about peace. And we want to look at that this morning because it says they shall be called sons of God. So what's the meaning of this? I just want to look at five things and uh, this morning. What's the meaning of making peace? What's the meaning of peace? What's that mean to us? Um, you know, I was on the Internet the other day and just did a quick search on peace. And kind of a, a weird thing that came up. The first thing that came up was a book on Amazon.com called... And it was—I guess it was to ladies. It said it was by a lady, Dr. Linda Mintle—Mintle's her name, M-I-N-T-L-E—and she had a book entitled "Making Peace with Your Thighs." <laughs> and I thought, what the heck is that about? You know, it had to do with you know weight loss, all this kind of stuff. And I thought, boy, people have these weird ideas about what it means to have peace. You know, someone said that really. It, peace is not the, the absence of problems or, or uh, kind of conflict in your life. But it's really the absence or the presence of God dictates whether or not you truly have peace in your life. Um, so, so peace isn't just the absence of conflict. You know that's what the world thinks. That's why they're always trying to, you know, put out these, these wars that are going on. We're just let's just sign a peace treaty, then it'll go away. No, it won't. It Doesn't work that way. Um, peace is more than that. You know, you, you stop by a cemetery. There's no conflict going on there. But I wouldn't call that necessarily a peaceful place. I mean, maybe if you think that's a peaceful place, you're a little warped or something. But, you know, I mean, it's obviously quiet in things. But, you know, that, that's, that's not what you would think of a, as a peaceful place. See, God sees peace not as the absence of conflict, but the presence of truth and righteousness. That's what true peace is in God's mind, is the presence of truth and righteousness, you say, well, that's you know, scratching your head. Well, I don't know where he's going with this. See, righteousness will bring about right relationships if you stop and you think about it. Peace isn't just stopping a war. You know, everybody put their weapons away. That's that's not it. Um, it's not taking two people in an argument and putting them in separate rooms or two people in a marriage and just saying, okay, just don't be around anymore. Just get a divorce and that will take care of the conflict. No, it won't. What happens? If you dealt with people that have gone through divorce... There's a scar there. There's a bitterness there. There's hard feelings there a lot of times. Unless God gives them the grace to get over it. Why? Because they they weren't able to work through it. I mean, divorce is a reality in our society. I'm not saying you're any less of a person if you've experienced a divorce. That happens. But you know what? A lot of times, there's there's scars from something like that. There's 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 scars even from two friends coming together in a conflict, and the moms coming along and just say, "Okay, just separate them. That's it." There's no resolution to the problem. See, the answer isn't just to separate people. So why are you fighting in the first place? Let's deal with the root issue. So peace isn't just stopping a war. It's, it's bringing about both parties to the proper understanding so they can live together in harmony. That's what true peace is. And when you have righteousness kind of implemented into each individual's life, what, what happens? They come together in love. Have you ever heard a, a Jewish person say shalom? They say it all the time. They greet each other. A lot of people think, well, that just means peace. That's what it means. Just, you know, peace, kind of like Peace. You know, it means so much more than that. It it doesn't, you know, when the the Jewish folks say, you know, shalom to each other, they're not just saying, hey, I hope you don't have any conflict. (laughs) They're not saying that. That's not what they're saying at all. What they're saying is, I desire for you all the righteousness and good God can give you. And as a result of that, you'll have peace. That's what they're saying. That's the true meaning of that. See, God's peacemakers don't just have people sign on the dotted line a a, a peace treaty, you know. They replace what causes the war with the righteousness of God. That's what we're called to do. So there's a difference between, you might say, a truce and true godly peace. See, a truce is when they put down their guns long enough so that they don't shoot for a while. You know, they've tried that a couple times over in the Middle East. You know, you have certain faction that's rising up, and it seems like our government's just about to put them out. And then, they okay, well, let's have a, a truce, and, and we'll kind of, you know, let the, the terrorists replenish their, their weapons and everything so they can come back. I don't understand that kind of thinking. You know, if you're going to go to war, let's go to war to win it. See, a truce is when you just kind of put down your guns and you don't shoot for a while. True peace, though, comes when the conflict is resolved. And the parties become what friends? Then all of a sudden, you have true peace, and then wars do truly stop. I mean, otherwise, you have the cessation of hostility toward one another. We had that with Russia, the Soviet Union, for years. What do we call it? The Cold War. It was still a war, just because bombs weren't going off. It was still a war. And a lot of times when, when situations are handled that way, when conflict is handled that way, you just pull two people apart and send them to the corners. What happens? That conflict is still going on, right? It's still going on in their heart. It's still going on in their mind. Matter of fact, it's probably even heating up. Did you ever try to separate two people that were fighting? I remember one time I was down in in, uh, in India and I went out on this uh, ride-along with the, the sheriff. And usually, you know, we're allowed to get out of the car and stuff. And, and it was a domestic dispute thing. And we walked up to the house and you could hear, you know, stuff breaking, all sorts of things going on. And so he knocked on the door. They didn't answer. Knock on the door. They didn't answer. So he kicked the door in. He's kind of waiting for backup, but backup's not coming. So he went in. So I kind of just followed him. And here's this, this husband and wife just going at it. I mean, both of them. Just, I think she was doing better than he was, you know, just wailing on each other. Have you ever tried to separate two people? who are just so intent on harming one another? You know, I mean, I'm sure that you could point guns at them. they still fight. They're just in this mode. And I remember trying to help this guy, hold the woman. I mean, it was crazy until some other deputies came. And it's almost like they lose their sense. And they just want to destroy one another. Well, that's what conflict does. And I remember even after they separated these two people, I think that my ride-along ended, but they were called out there three or four times, the rest of the night until finally one-on-one to jail. See, they separated, but that didn't do any good. You know, the conflict was still in their hearts. And so two people who are at war with one another, you know, I mean, I understand stopping the fight, but then we need to get them to talk about what the problem is. Because that conflict will, if it's not resolved, it probably smolders and it comes back bigger than it was before. And the piece of the Bible conquers problems it doesn't just sign a truce it looks at the problem the heart of the issue and says why is this conflict going on in the first place that's why a lot of times in counseling you know it's important if you're a christian you want counseling hey you need counseling nothing wrong with that but go to a biblical counselor go to somebody who's going to help you not somebody that you know is going to take your money and you're going to lay on their couch and tell you tell them all your problems See, so many times when when we're in that kind of a state of mind, that's all we want to do. We just want to focus on our problems, tell people our problems over and over and over ad nauseum. We don't want to do anything about it. God forbid somebody should say, hey, look, here's your problem, now go fix it. Don't come back until you fixed it. See, we don't hear that kind of counsel today. That would be too harsh. But that's really what some people need to hear. And so the peace that the Bible offers is a peace that conquers the problems that we face. It bridges a gap between people. It doesn't put up a wall. James 3.17 says, The wisdom that is from above is first of all pure, and then it says it's peaceable. See, purity has to come first before you can have peace. And, And God's wisdom... What he says in his word, through his his wisdom, he says, you know what, the way to peace is through purity. Peace is never established at the expense of righteousness. You're never going to have peace if you overlook righteousness. Two people will never accept peace until they accept that their bitterness and their hatred is wrong, and they have to humble themselves before God and humble themselves before each other and make things right. Isn't that how it works? I mean, it works that way in our relationships. You know, you get in in a fight or whatever with your your wife or your husband or whatever. What do you have to do? You have to make a decision. Okay, well, am I just going to be bitter and just not deal with this? Or am I going to resolve this somehow? And you both have to come to terms with it. Hebrews 12.14 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness. See, peace and holiness, they're linked together. You can't have one without the other. You can't separate them. So true peace comes through purity, through righteousness. Even in Psalm 85.10, it says righteousness and peace have kissed each other. In other words, they're linked together. Righteousness and peace. True peace is always accompanied by righteousness and purity. And what happens when you, bring, when you try to bring about peace with righteousness? Does everybody want that? No. It's ironic, but what happens is you have conflict. <laughs> See, we all want to avoid needless strife in our marriages, in our family, whatever, with our kids, our place of business, any situation. I don't think you wake up in the morning, boy, who can I argue with today? Can't wait to get a good argument, and just hold a grudge and just, you know, really go at it. We don't wake up that way. At least I hope you don't. If, if you do, we can help you with some counseling. <laughs> but, you know... We don't want to to have this this aspect of true peace. We just want a truce. See, we just want to agree to disagree. How many times have you heard that? Let's just agree to disagree. James ten thirty four or Matthew ten thirty four says this, and this is Jesus speaking himself. He says, "Think not that I come to send peace on earth. This is when he was here. I came not to send peace or bring peace, but a sword." <laughs> Doesn't sound like blessed are the peacemakers, does it? Here's the same guy saying something different, so it seems. It sounds like it's the opposite of Matthew 5.9. But what Jesus was saying there was that He didn't come to bring peace at any cost. See, that's, that's the, the kind of the, the way our society thinks. You know, just get peace at any cost. doesn't make, make, make any difference what the cost is. Just compromise, compromise, compromise until there's peace. That's all that matters. See, being a peacemaker in the world is difficult because it requires, what, bringing truth, bringing righteousness into people's ears. And when people don't want to hear that, that doesn't make them peaceful. <laughs> it causes strife. It causes problems. That's why when you share the gospel with somebody, when you go out and you say, Hey, you know what? You know what God, you know, do you think you're a pretty good person? Yeah, I think I'm pretty good. Well, you know what? The Bible says that you're nothing but a sinner. That we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. I've never had a person say, Really? That's such great news. Call me a sinner again. It feels so good. I, I've never had someone do that. I've always said, Well, no, no, wait. wait you know, I'm pretty good. You know, I go to church every week, family, I'm faithful to my wife, I raise my kids right, I work hard. You're calling me a sinner? No, I didn't say that. I said, God calls you a sinner. God says that we've all sinned. We've all fall short of His glory. We we don't measure up. We've missed the target. We've missed the bullseye. And when you tell people that, what, that's an offense to them. Especially if they're not ready to hear it when christians bring the message of peace that comes through the gospel which is a hard message to deliver if you deliver it as the pure gospel that everybody's a sinner and they need the grace of god there's none good no not one then all of a sudden you know you have this sort of the purity must fall first and then you can have peace through righteousness even in jude chapter 3 it says beloved when i gave all diligence to write to you unto uh Unto you of the common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you earnestly contend for the faith. There's some contention going on when you share Christ. It's not just, you know, everybody's having a party, balloons, and happy time. That's why we don't share the gospel enough. That's why we get nervous when we walk up to a non-Christian and we meet a non-Christian, somebody who hasn't made that commitment to Christ. We want to know, okay, how do I share the gospel message? I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want them to be mad at me. I want them to like me. So then we come up with all sorts of gospels that aren't truly the gospel. But as believers, we are to be contentious about some things. We are to be hard-nosed about some things. That's why, that's what we're called to do. See, a true peacemaker would never make this statement, I don't ever want to offend someone who isn't a believer. A true peacemaker, if they honestly understand what Jesus is saying here, would never make a statement like that. See, peace can't be made that way because of a lack of righteousness. In, is the issue in the non-believer's life. If, if you have someone you know that has cancer, my brother, and if I knew that he had cancer and I went to him and, and uh, you know, was, was, was sharing with him, that's not news that you would just welcome. That's kind of bad news. I've never met anybody that had cancer. Gee, I was diagnosed with cancer. This is just great. Get to go to the hospital, get to have operations, and chemotherapy. I just can't wait. It doesn't come out that way. Well, it's the same way when we go to share the gospel with someone. When we tell somebody they're a sinner, there's nothing good in them. It's like it's like hearing you have cancer, cancer of the heart. So we aren't peacemakers in the sense that we never cause any strife. Because if we're going to share the gospel, I guarantee you that there will be strife. We can't abandon biblical principles for the sake of peace. I've sat in some meetings with other pastors and kind of an ecumenical group of people and you know said some things. They just asked to share what our church was about and I said some things. And I'll never forget, I mean, this lady next to me I don't know what church she went to, but it wasn't a biblical one. She turned to me and said, you know, you really offend me. You just offended me. I said, what? I mean, nobody else said anything. You know, I'm like, what did I say, you know? And, and I said, well, I, you know, I'm sorry if I offended you. I don't know how i She said, well, you just use God too much. We don't, we don't refer to God as God in our church. We call Him the higher power. or We call Him, you know, the mother earth. Or, you know, that word God is just offensive to me. First, it's a female, and, and she went on this thing, you know. And I'm just like, woo, you know, I won't come back here. Uh, it was just weird. But I thought, you know what? I'm not going to compromise on basic necessities just so I can have peace with this person. In, in in Luke chapter 12, verse 51 to 53, our Lord said again. He said, "Suppose that I that I am come to give peace on the earth. I tell you, no. But rather division. <laughs> this is Jesus speaking." He says, there shall be five in one house divided, three against two, two against three. The father shall be divided against the son and the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, the daughter against the mother. The mother-in-law. It even gets into the in-laws here. The mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and the daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. See, He knew that when people come to Him. Jesus knew this. When people come to Him and they give up everything and they yield their lives to Him, that's going to cause problems. That's going to cause divisions in households. I experienced that even in my own home. With my family. Remember when I first came to Christ, my oldest brother basically showed me the door. You know, we're Catholics. How dare you go get baptized in a Baptist church? What are you thinking? He just had a messed up conception of what religion was and what relationship was, all that stuff. But see, true peace only comes when truth reigns. A lot of people come up and say, well you seem pretty narrow in your beliefs and you know you need to be more ecumenical, you need to reach out to more people, and you know, basically we just all need to agree on something. I don't believe that. And I don't hold to that because that's not what Christ held to. Christ never pronounced a blessing on apostates. And unfortunately, today in Christianity, there's a lot of apostates. There's a lot of people wearing the the title of Christians or a Christian church even, but they're apostate. They've gone away from the Gospel. It's a feel-good message with a performance attitude and, and the Gospel's lost somewhere in there. I don't have anything in common with those folks. It, it, I hope it doesn't sound hard-nosed, but in a way, I want to be hard-nosed about that. Because our Lord was hard-nosed about that. It's not that you're not gracious to them. They need the truth. They need to come to Christ. And whenever Jesus met someone who was in error, He didn't look the other way and say, boy, if I point this guy's sin out to him, he'll, he'll really get upset with me. He didn't do that. He was always bold enough to go to them when He saw the sin and, and dealt with it firsthand. He knew true peace would come only as people responded correctly to the truth. See, biblical peacemakers aren't these quiet little meek people, little church mice that you know run around and don't offend anybody. They're not easygoing people who don't want to make any waves, and they have no sense of rights. That's not what a true peacemaker is. I mean, some people appear that way to be peacemakers because, you know what, basically they don't have any convictions. If you ask them what they believe, they probably won't even tell you because they wouldn't want to offend you in any way. Who will accept something that is wrong just so things can be peaceful. We have to be careful about that. So biblical peacemakers, first of all, resolve a problem with the truth. That's what true peace that's what he means when he's talking about being a peacemaker here. He's saying shedding the, the light of the truth, of righteousness on people's lives. Well, what's the opposite of that? What's a problem? What's causing all the problem? Why don't we have peace? Well, basically it's sin. In Jeremiah seventeen nine, the Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The heart, our heart, is deceitful above all things. I mean, that's, pretty, that's a pretty high standard, or low standard. It's deceitful above all things, everything. And it's desperately wicked. In other words, it yearns to do wickedness. That's what our hearts are. That's what Jesus, that's what God calls our hearts. Isaiah 48.22 says, There is no peace, says the Lord, unto the wicked. Jeremiah 8.11 says, They have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace. You know what? Where there is no peace. Isn't that the truth today? Isn't that what we... we you know, we got, we got President Bush and Connolly's rise and, 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 and you know, Vice President Cheney, all these people talking, you know, oh, we've got to have peace, we've got to have peace. Well, you know what? My Bible says there's not going to be any peace. Many people talk about peace, but the reason they don't have it is because they're ignoring their own sin. In Mark chapter 7, verses 20 to 23, Jesus said that that which comes out of a man, that defileth the man from within, out of the heart. Listen what's in this heart. Listen what he says. Out of the heart of man proceed evil thoughts. Adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and defile the man. And yet, how many times have you heard, you know, yeah, I really like, you know, Billy Bob, and he's got a good heart. No, he doesn't. The Bible says we all have wicked hearts. We all are in need of God's grace to cleanse our wicked heart. That's why in James 3.18, James says, The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by them that make peace. See, a person can't have real peace until he bears righteous fruit. See, out of a wicked heart come all those bad things. Out of a pure heart come holiness, righteousness, purity. And only a heart that's been cleansed by the grace and the blood of Christ can bear that kind of fruit. So if two people are fighting and it's because of sin, if you eliminate the sin, then the fight will end. It's that simple. You just separate the two people. That's not going to have anything to do. A person at war with God needs to have the sin that stands between him and God removed. Well, how does that happen? The only way that can happen is through the cross of Christ. And then you can be reconciled unto your Creator. Peacemakers make peace by sowing righteousness. That's why James 3.17 says, first it's purity, then peace. You're never going to make peace by just sowing complacency or sowing you know, whatever you want. You have to sow Righteousness. The only peacemakers in the world that are going to accomplish anything are those who would submit and accomplish to do what God wants them to do through His truth. And it's interesting when you look at what are the prerequisites for a peacemaker, basically, that's the Beatitudes. You know, you can't be a peacemaker until you cover these first six things in your life. You have to start off as a beggar before God, realizing that, you know what, you need to be poor in spirit. You can't be a prideful person saying, yeah, I'm pretty good. Look at me. I got my act together. That's not a heart that God would welcome. That's not an attitude that God would welcome. And then you become a mourner because you're mourning over your own sinfulness. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you don't sin. How do you feel when you sin? Do you just say, you know what, God's forgiven me. Let's go again. you know? Or do you have a true sense of mourning over your sin because it grieves the heart of God? And as you do that, that will produce a sense of meekness in your life toward God because you're looking at God in light of His sovereignty and His holiness and you're going, whoa, I can't believe this guy wants to have a relationship with me. And as a result of that, you become hungry and thirsted for righteousness. And we talked about that hunger and thirst doesn't go away. It's not like, oh, I'm hungry for dinner and you sit down and you eat a good steak and then you sit on the couch and go, oh, I'm so full. It's not that kind of a hunger or thirst. It's talking about a hunger and thirst that, that, that continues hunger and thirst for righteousness it doesn't stop and then God will extend his mercy to you and you'll become a merciful people and then you become pure in heart as we talked about last week and then only then as your heart is pure as your heart is cleansed by God's grace then you can be a peacemaker that's why in in uh, uh, Matthew five ten. and even after you're a peacemaker the world won't accept you <laughs> isn't that weird You're trying to be a peacemaker. And you know what? They won't accept you. That's why 5.10 says, Blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. See, you're out there trying to be a peacemaker in the biblical way. You're trying to share righteousness with people's lives. When you see sin, you're trying to confront it biblically. And then God will reward you for that. See, only when we deal with true sin can peace ever exist. If you have the righteousness of God, you will have peace. If your marriage, your home are characterized by righteousness, you will enjoy peace. Righteousness produces peace with God, with others, and with yourselves. And it's important to understand that those other beatitudes, we have to have those in our lives first. Because the world... Exalts those who are constantly kind of in turmoil if you think about it. Just go to the movie theater. It's all about fighting. I'm not saying that's not entertainment. That's fine. But I'm just saying we're drawn to that. And the world hates peacemakers. It hated Christ, it hated Paul, it hated it hates Christians over the centuries. It's not going to embrace you when you go out there and you try to share the truth with somebody. That's why when you have a relative who doesn't know the Lord, and, and you know you don't want to be mamby pamby about how you're going to share the gospel with them, just be upfront with them. Share the gospel the way Christ shared the gospel. Let the results up to God. Don't try to you know take the gospel and make it soft and cuddly. And you know, oh, Jesus has a wonderful plan for your life. And don't you just want to come to Jesus and, and you know you have all this stuff and He'll make you rich. And you know you know who wouldn't want to do that. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel of Christ says, you know what? First of all, there's nothing good in you at all. You're a sinner who needs the grace of God. Secondly, you need to come to me my way through the cross, through Jesus Christ. He died in your place, and, and He wants peace with you. And if you want peace with Him, you have to come to the table on His terms. We don't write our own ticket with God. It's so important to, to, to get that right. Who makes peace anyway? The author of peace is God. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, God is not the author of confusion, but of what? Of peace. Apart from Him, there is no peace. Romans 15.33, Paul says, Now the God of peace be with you all. Hebrews 13.20, the author of Hebrews described God as the God of peace. Over and over and over again, we see that that, that Jesus Christ came to be our peace. He came to be the peace of God kind of put on flesh and and die for us. He's the author of it. It's not something we create. You don't create peace. God grants peace. And it's God's desire that we have peace. See, so many times I hear people say, well, you know, if your God's a God of peace, then why are all these wars? What are all these wars going? Why does He allow that? Well, they're not His wars. What do you think, God's out there starting wars with nations? That's just a result of sin in man's heart. It's their wars. And He's saying, hey, you guys want to fight, go ahead. <laughs> Eventually, He'll turn things around. He'll step in. There'll come a day when He, he is going to step in and He is going to stop all that. The swords will be turned into plowshares and all that. Jeremiah 29.11, wonderful verse says, I know the thoughts that I have to you, says the Lord. Thoughts of war. Is that what it says? No, it says thoughts of peace. Thoughts of peace. John 16.33, it says, These things Jesus said I have spoken unto you that, uh, that in me you might have peace. In the world you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have hard times. But you know what? Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This world's a hard place to live in, isn't it? It's difficult sometimes. But the source of peace is God. The source of peace is the Holy Spirit that He gives us that dwells within us. I was reading in a commentary, and this guy talked about reading about what they call the cushion of the sea. The cushion of the sea. And apparently, you go out in the ocean. I don't know if you like to go out in the ocean. I kind of try to stay away from that. Um, Last time I think I went out in the ocean, I got sick. But on the ocean surface, it gets kind of, you know, agitated sometimes. You got waves, you got wind, you got all the stuff going on, surf going on. But you know what? As divers say that as you go lower and lower into the water itself, it becomes calmer and calmer. And there's actually survey teams that have, have, have dredged the ocean bottom. And they, they, they have this certain kind of, near the bottom of the ocean, they call it the cushion of the sea. Up up above it could be totally tumultuous and you know, waves crashing all around, but down at these lower depths it becomes increasingly calm until it almost becomes virtually still, they say, the lower you go. And certain survey teams, they've, they've dredged up among those calm areas of the ocean and they've found animal and plant remains that appear to be almost undisturbed fossils for hundreds of years. And you know what? You read that, it's it's kind of like the peace that's experienced by Christians. Here we are on the top of the ocean in this world and everything's going crazy. Everything around us. There's wars, there's all sorts of money problems, social, social problems, disease, sin, death. And regardless of all that anxiety and trouble in the Christian surroundings, there's this kind of cushion of peace around us that Christ provides. Have you noticed that in your life? There's a cushion of peace there. Because we have the Holy Spirit of peace within us. And He gives us what we need to, to get through the next day, no matter what it may bring. He's always there for us. And these messengers of peace that First Corinthians and Second Corinthians speak about, these are, are Christians. How do you become a messenger of peace? It's pretty simple. First of all, you have to make peace with God. Ephesians 6.15 said that we should have our feet shod with the gospel, preparation of the gospel of what? Of peace. See, before we were Christians, what happens? We were at war with God. I don't know about you, but I struggle when I become a Christian. When I became a Christian, it was a it was kind of a you know it was a kind of a common sense decision, but on the other hand, it was a struggle for me. It wasn't something I just woke up one day and said, oh, I think I'll become a Christian today. Oh, yeah, sure. No problem. I struggle with it. Why? Because there wasn't peace between God and myself. And when I heard the truth that the only way you could have peace with God is come through Jesus Christ. So you can't go to an attorney and he takes up the thing for you and, and he negates the problem with God. He, it doesn't work that way. God says there's only one mediator. There's only one person in all the world that stands between me and you and that's my son Jesus Christ. He's the only gate. He's the only way. So you've made peace with God. If you're a peacemaker, you've also helped others make peace with God. In other words, once you make peace with God, you begin to realize, you know what, I can tell other people about this. I can go out and explain the gospel to somebody, and if God grants them repentance and they come to Christ, their lives will be changed. It'll be transformed, just like I was transformed. And then they'll have peace with God. And then hopefully that person will go out and tell someone. Romans 10 15 says, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. See, you never know what you're going to accomplish. You never know what God's going to accomplish when you tell someone the gospel. The other thing is, they do is they help people make peace with each other. See, peacemakers build bridges between people, they don't build walls. Uh, Matthew 5, 21 and 24, our Lord said, Have you not heard that it was said by them of old, Thou shalt not kill, and whoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment? And then he said this, But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Rocker, or you blockhead, or you dunce, or however you want to do it, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell and fire. Therefore, if, if you bring your gift to the altar and re, and you remember that your brother has anything against you, leave the gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. In other words, he's talking to people who are coming to church and they got major grudges going on in their hearts. What he's saying is, you know what, don't you come here putting your little offering in the bucket thinking you're looking good when your heart's not right with me. Don't come in here, you know, worshiping and lifting your hands when your heart's not right with me. See, God doesn't want you to worship Him if there's strife between you and someone else. And you notice there, it says uh, uh, that you remember that your brother has anything against you. So it's not even talking that you have, somebody against, you have something against somebody. It's, it's somebody else has something against you. You have to deal with that first. Matthew 5.44, Jesus said, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them who despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father. What's He saying? He's saying be graceful, be merciful to people. It's not a, you know, eye for an eye. Matthew 18, He says, If your brother shall trespass against you, go and tell him his fault. Not to condemn him. But if he won't hear you, then you take three or more. Two or more. And if he neglects to hear them, then you tell the whole church. That's church discipline. See, so many times we want to jump through hoops one through two and then you know drag the poor sinner before the church and say, you're out of here. You know That's not how it works. It's a graceful process. It's a patient process. Usually, Christians in this case is what we'd be talking about within the church who are caught up in sin probably a lot of times won't hear it the first time because they're deceived in their own thinking. I don't know too many Christians who go out and sin just for the, you know, hey, I'm sinning. I love it. I just can't wait to sin some more. You know, usually it's, it's a process of, oh, man, I can't. why does this keep on going on in my life? I know it grieves heart, God. It grieves, grieves me and just keep on falling into this sin. And there's already some negative feelings there about it. See, we need to make sure that we're willing to build that bridge and allow that person to, to kind of regain what they lost. We're not talking about a truce. We're talking about confronting somebody in their sin. See, too many people are unwilling to to, to send out that that cable from from their end of, of the, the river over to the other end. see the process of, of making a bridge first you need a solid base you can't, you can't build a bridge on sand you need a solid base on each side and after that they stretch cables across then eventually they're laying a foundation for people to actually go across on the bridge. see too many people are unwilling even to, to, to get in their own foundation. They try to start building bridges and and, and they don't have peace in their own life. In the end here, the Lord's promise to peacemakers is that they shall be called the sons of God. It's interesting, this word, sons of God there, it's a certain word. It's not the word techno that just means children, which expressed... Kind of tender affection, that kind of a thing. The word that he uses here really describes a position of dignity, a position of honor. And so when Christ spoke of people being called the sons of God, he went on beyond the he went beyond the little heartfelt affection to promise to those who who he called, but he he, he wanted to promise them a privileged position. That's what he was doing. The honor of being a peacemaker that's the mark of a Christian and it's interesting there that word called will be called sons of God it's stated in what they call the future passive tense and what that means is it's a continuous action it's continual Jesus meant that in the future believers will be continuously called the sons of God believers now are sons of God and in the future Throughout eternity, they will be called sons of God. That's an incredible promise about our security in Christ. Not on what we do, but on what He has done for us. What a great promise. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Let's close in a word of prayer and and stand with me, if you will. Father, we just come before You this morning and we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that You're a God who cares so much about us that you have gave you gave your son, your only son, on the cross to die a criminal's death, really. He was scourged, he was mocked, he was made fun of, and yet the whole time being God, he could have snapped his fingers and wiped everybody right out off the face of the earth, but he didn't do it because he loved us so much. He knew what had to take place. Lord, maybe there's somebody here this morning who is yet to make peace with you. Maybe there's someone here this morning who Has yet to yield their heart to you. Lord, I I can't imagine ever going back, ever going back to pre Christ, to, to that time before I knew you as my Lord and Savior. Because you've transformed my life, you've changed me into something that that is just an act of your grace. Not that we're perfect, none of us are. We sin daily. But Lord, we thank You for Your grace that continually covers us. Thank You for the, co- the the price that Christ paid on our behalf. He paid a debt that we could never, ever pay. And He took it all upon Himself. Lord, we thank You for that. And Lord, I pray that today if there's someone here who has not cried out to You, I pray that they would cry out to you. Be merciful to me, God, a sinner. Show me your truth. Help me know for sure that I too can be a peacemaker, that I too can be called the Son of God. It's just a prayer away. Lord, we thank you for this morning. pray you bless each one as we leave this place and as we sing one last song together. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.